Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Looking to throw over the middle and into the end zone. Touchdown, Arizona State. We support each other's uh, teams the rest of the year, but during this game, all bets are off. That was all Keaton Slovis. Wow, what a play by him. One man to beat 15-10-5. Touchdown, a new NCAA record. Dante Pettis. Washington State has found a way to move the ball. It's incredible what we're seeing here in Pullman tonight. Touchdown, Oregon. They fake the handoff. Justin Herbert delivers a dart. I went to HR several times uh, about how the Duck fans treat me. Touchdown, Utah. I mean, this is the Pac-12 we're talking about. Some way, somehow, we made it to championship weekend. And we have the breakdown for you here on Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network, along with college football analyst Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Riffin. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. Do us a favor, please hit that rate, review, and subscribe button as we appreciate all of our loyal listeners and viewers throughout this season. The Pac-12 season coming to an end for the most part. We will have four games to break down for you, including Friday evening's championship matchup between USC and Oregon. Before we do that, though, on Tuesday night, the college ball playoff rankings were released. And uh, Ryan, you actually you just told me right before I hit the, the record button here that, you know, Colorado is in a precarious situation with the ranking. Why don't you enlighten us a little bit on where you were when the rankings were dropped, what your interpretation of it was both for the Pac-12 and also for the nation? Well, I was live on the radio when they broke, so we were almost speechless as to what the top 25 unfurled as. But if you're going to keep Colorado in at, at 25, then it's, then it's imperative for the Pac-12 conference, uh, the heads of the Pac-12 conference, to then go, okay, the committee's telling us something. The committee's telling us that Colorado is a considerable uh, win for, let's say, USC in a Pac-12 championship. So they had every opportunity to do what's best for the conference once again and give them a ranked opponent. Because that was the thing that Gary Barta said was limiting USC right now. And the only reason they only moved up two spots from 15 to 13 was because, A, they hadn't played a ranked opponent, and, B, uh, they did not have any game control. They had to come back uh, in the fourth quarter in three of their five games, and that was enough for the committee to simply say, hey, we think the American and the Sun Belt uh, deserve more uh, attention than a Power Five conference, which is, I mean, that is a a statement in itself in 2020 that that's what the college football playoff committee believes to be true. Because I tell you right now, you put Coastal in the USC schedule, you put uh, Louisiana in the, in the uh, schedule, you put Cincinnati in the USC schedule. All three of those teams aren't undefeated now. They're not. So but they also looked at Louisiana and said, hey, you beat the number six team in the country. You also only lost to the number 12 team in the country by three points. You are 13 spots lower than the team that you beat to start the season. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, they are absolutely a fraud, I think is the best way to put it. Um, and, uh, and nothing's going to change. You know, the four that went into this weekend – most likely are going to be the four that come out of it. And I've even, I've even walked uh, in the direction of if Clemson loses in a tight game to Notre Dame like they did before, watch Clemson be the first two-loss team in at the fourth spot to play Alabama in the first semifinal. On that note, Iowa State is sixth. They have a, a handful of top 25 wins if you're looking at that, right? 18 Oklahoma – six Oklahoma, excuse me, actually lost Oklahoma State, but they lost by three when Oklahoma State was six. They beat Texas, and they have an opportunity again in the Big 12 championship against the 10th-ranked Oklahoma Sooners. Now, if Iowa State beats Oklahoma and Clemson loses, not even a close one, Clemson loses a bad one to Notre Dame, is there a chance that we see a two-loss Iowa State team get in at the fourth spot? Well, they, they, keep, they keep telling us that they love Iowa State. They All of a sudden – you know, this team that would lose to Louisiana and lose to a uh, Oklahoma State team is good enough to get in. 
I mean, if they, if, if they flat out look at which is a better loss. Now, the question is, how much do they weigh a conference championship? Well, clearly it's not that much because they're going to look at USC. If USC is 6-0 and and the conference championship's not going to mean enough for them to get to the four spot. Um, so I, I just – I don't think Iowa State gets in as a two-loss team. I also don't think a, a two-loss Clemson team gets in. I, I really don't. Um, but, you know, they could, they could prove me wrong with that. I, I assume what we'll see if Notre Dame is able to beat um, – Clemson for a second time, I would assume we'd see Texas A&M for as much as they've given them credit for. And, and I've said all along, I think five is their ceiling. But the committee keeps telling me week in, week out, that they're the fifth best team in the country. Uh, and, and we'll see. They're not going to give Cincinnati a look. They've dropped them back two spots, uh, having not played um, and, and didn't do so with Ohio State. Uh, or or anybody else for that matter in, in this process. So it looks like the Blue Bloods, if it if it plays out, uh, it's going to be that, um, that 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 that's the way it's going to go. And uh, unfortunately, I'm going to watch those four se- those two semifinals because they're going to look pretty darn good. And I think the best team that gives um, Alabama a run is is probably Notre Dame or Clemson, and those would be the teams that would be in the fourth spot if. You know, if Clemson were to get beat or if Notre Dame were to get beat, most likely. Yeah, I mean, the nuances here are definitely lost on me because I don't think that they really matter as much. Like you just said, the four teams that have been in top four the entire season are probably going to be the four teams that get in. We'll get into the national slated games here to cap off the show. Let's get into the Pac-12. Okay, so let's, let's, let's end this conversation with USC Oregon. Let's give them that, that courtesy of, of not sort of pushing first with the championship, but capping the Pac-12 side of things with that. So Utah-Washington State is the first Saturday game. These Remember, these are all sort of like the consolation games at the end of the season. UCLA and Stanford have already turned down their bowl bids. We'll see what happens with the rest of the conference in terms of the teams that may or may not get them. Um, Utah is projected to win by 10.5. Washington State we haven't seen in a few weeks. Um, two and two, Utah coming off of a very nice win against a ranked number 25 Colorado team. Uh, which got stripped of a final game this week because Washington couldn't go. Oregon got put into the championship game, and Colorado is uh, is sit at, sitting at home drinking hot chocolate watching the rest of the slate happen here on a Saturday. For you, Ryan, uh, like we'll get into the, the line and what you think is going to happen, but you know, for a young Washington State team, if they could pull off a win, and I know that we're not, we have no idea what next year is going to look like, but this team is, is growing, right? How important would that be just for the mental fortitude of this team in Washington State and, and Coach Rolovich in his inaugural season to come away with a season-ending victory against Utah? Well, it'd be huge, but it's a pipe dream. They haven't grown a bit. You know, they've, they've, they've started, they sputtered, they backed up, and now they're looking for some sort of identity. Max Borgie playing would be huge. That would be a huge uh, step forward. But, you know, he's been injured all year long. Uh, Do you put him in a game early in the morning in a frigid cold day in Salt Lake City uh, and risk injuring him again when this season doesn't count? His eligibility doesn't count. He's going to be your go-to guy a year from now. I don't know. Uh, They have to figure out who their quarterback is because, you know, they they haven't got the right guy there yet. Uh, they th- we thought we did against Oregon State uh, and probably about a half versus Oregon, but it's, it's been a struggle down the stretch uh, for Jaden DeLora. Uh, you know, he was sick. Don't forget he had the virus, right? It, it, we do not know how this affects people long term. And uh, that could play, be playing a, a big part of all of this. But I suspect we're going to see, um, you know, a, a bit of a Ferris wheel of quarterbacks from the Washington State Cougars on, on Saturday. We could see Gunnar Cruz, Cam Cooper um, coming back home to the state of Utah and, and Jaden Delora uh, on Saturday morning. Washington State does have, and by the way, we would be remiss in our duties as the Pac-12 host to quickly gloss over the fact that it was 
early signing period yesterday until tomorrow. Obviously, not all the recruits that will be signing until the conference did sign during early signing period. But to your point, Ryan, Xavier Ward from Eleanor Roosevelt, Roosevelt High School, three-star, um, and the 22nd dual-threat ranked quarterback in the nation, is committed to Washington State. We'll see if he's in the mix next season as well. But you're right. I mean, this is now a time, the final game of the season, to get some of these guys um, an opportunity take some snaps so you said this is a pipe dream 10 and a half points of the spread 36 degrees Fahrenheit is the temperature supposed to be at kickoff um, I think Utah covers because again motivation it's going to be a, co- uh, a cold day and, and offensively they've been moving the ball pretty well uh, we saw against Colorado last week in that second half so I think they cover this game what are your thoughts yeah I mean they, they beat a Colorado team by 17 points a week ago so um, you know we haven't last time we saw Washington State step on the field uh, it was 35 to nothing um, before anybody could uh, really turn the TV on to watch it happen. So that's the last thing we see. If we're going off the last things we saw, it's Washington State getting just, you know, boot stomped and Utah doing the same to a, to a, a college football playoff ranked team in Colorado. So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I'd love to roll with my Cougs this weekend in terms of, um, you know, in terms of against the spread, but I, I just, I don't see it happening. So the, the half point gives me pause, but uh, I'm going to take it. I'm going to, I'm going to go Utah minus the 10 and a half. Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, that you know, is- you know, everybody out there, uh, Jonathan has not, not beat me this year. And it's the last week to avoid chance. this conversation, <laughs> but, but, you know, what I have to do in this moment, I have to disagree with him in a game. Otherwise, you know, I can just, I can just roll out the season here and as the ultimate champion once again. But uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go against one of his picks no matter what. So I give him a chance at a victory this week. I appreciate that means I have to pick first no matter what, because we didn't discuss our picks prior to this podcast being recorded, but I have a feeling, you know, the problem is, is that I was on a podcast yesterday and I picked one of my picks against my own intuition. Um, And I think I might backtrack here on this podcast and go with a different direction, but we'll get to that. We haven't gotten to that game yet. Um, Let's move on here. So we both have Utah covering the 10 and a half against Washington State at four o'clock on ESPN, UCLA hosting Stanford, Stanford after a sluggish start. Davis Mills came back after that false positive two weeks into the season. I wouldn't say they've been rolling, but they've been improving every week. They're three and two UCLA three and three. This would be the first season in the Chip Kelly era that they finish over 500. And by the way, I did read a report. I don't know how credible it is. And maybe Ryan, you could shed some light on it that UCLA isn't totally convinced or isn't sold on bringing Chip Kelly back next season. Is that something that you have heard with your sources? Because again, I'm not exactly sure how credible what I read is. Football scoops sometimes can be credible. I mean, just they, they tend to know coaching changes quickly and things like that. Um, but but they're, still, they're still the TMZ of the college football world right. to me. So I, I, uh, I, I spoke with their athletic director um, after this story came out through a, through, a, through a friend of mine, and it's absolutely false. He is riding with Chip Kelly. Uh, they feel like they improved this year, and uh, they're, they're excited for what next year brings. Uh, and I, I don't know where the names Chris Peterson and Urban Meyer came to, <laughs> came to fruition for that. Um, not that they couldn't get either one of the guys. I think Urban Meyer probably could do exactly what he did at Utah and Florida and turn them into – contenders and you get to live in LA to boot but uh Chip Kelly's Chip Kelly's got a a handle on that and if they finish the season here uh with the victory I suspect that uh uh, they'll have a a great offseason preparing for uh next season I agree and also the first time since since Chip Kelly came to UCLA that they finished in the top half of the Pac-12 in recruiting again during the early signing period it's not all said and done February through March are really but remember but remember with Chip Kelly you know, he didn't have any of the top recruiting classes when he was at Oregon. It's because he has a niche offense and what they like to do. So he recruits, he recruits specifically to what they do offensively. And necessarily that doesn't fit with the national narrative of stars or fit. Um, But he knows what he wants and it's worked for him in the past. So he'll continue to do that. He's never relied on how high his, his recruiting class is. He'll take the bump if it's a top half 
recruiting class, but it's not something that he actually and his coaches staff go out and look for. To that point, ironically, now Oregon's about to have two five-star commits in the next two weeks, and USC is going to have well, at least one, maybe even two. Washington is the only team in the early signing period with a five-star commit. That's Sam Heward, the five-star quarterback at Academy Catholic in Washington. Um, on my recruiting show, we'll do a little conversation with their head coach about him. Um, but that, that's just a point of note. This is the first time in the last five years that only, and then fewer three five-stars have recruited in the Pac-12 in the early signing period. So not a great showing, but like you said, scheme-based recruiting is something that has been more prevalent with some of these programs, as you just alluded to with UCLA. So let's get into this game a little bit. UCLA, Stanford, um, you know, UCLA is a six and a half point favorite. I like what they've been doing the last, I mean, I've liked what they've done the entire season, right? They could have gone five and oh, or six and oh up to this point, um, but they're three and three. They gave away the game last week to USC in the fourth quarter. Of course, they could have beaten Oregon. They could have been, uh, they couldn't have beaten Colorado, but they came back against Colorado. Um, I think that yes, they're they going to could have beaten Colorado. Okay, so then they could have beaten Colorado. Um, and they don't turn it over four times in the first four minutes. They were a hair away from being six and zero, um, or five and one, if you will. Regardless of those of those, they're three and three. Um, Sanford's three and two. I think that they in UCLA pull out this victory. I don't know if I like the six and zero. I hate these half points, man. The half points throw me throw me because like I they could win by six. I could see them winning by two field goals. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to give Stanford a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I know that they were practicing in Santa Barbara all week and a little bit warmer than Seattle last week um, and Corvallis as well. Um, I'm going to give UCLA a victory, but Stanford covers the plus six and a half. Stanford's the best team in the Pac-12 right now. Uh, they, what they've been able to do the last couple weeks has been unbelievably impressive. Um, and I, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, I said, when this is all said and done and the Stanford season's over, you're going to look at that team as one that improved greatly and could be arguably the best team in the conference, if not one of the best teams. And so um, I, I think Stanford not only covers, but I think they went outright to finish their year uh, on, on a very positive note. They're not going to play in a bowl game um, and they're going to move on. And I'm, hoping Davis Mills comes back and a ton of this senior laden team returns as well, because they could be uh, a difficult out in the North a year from now. All right. So there's our disagreement right there. I have Stanford. No, we both picked them. We both picked them. I didn't pick Stanford to win. I picked UCLA to to cover. All right. Okay. So it's a half agreement because you still have them to win. It doesn't matter. I'm taking Stanford plus six and a half. All right. We agree on the line. Um, that's at 4 o'clock on ESPN. Let's move over to the 7.30 game, the quote Pac-12 after dark game. Arizona State, Oregon State, no Tristan Jebbia for Oregon State. Uh, it looks like Jamar Jefferson and, and the rest of that team, except they did have a wide receiver opt-out, uh, is good to go. I still think Arizona State's going to pull that off. Um, it's ASU by seven up in Corvallis. I give them the cover on the spread. I think as good as – not as good, as interesting as Oregon State has made these games um, – I just don't think that they have the talent to really run with Arizona State here, and Arizona State will finish their season at 2-2 two and two because it, that's just the, what it's like to play football in a pandemic. You have these weird records to end the season. Um, and uh, I think that Jaden Daniels and company end on a high note, and we see them come back big, bigger, badder, and better than ever uh, in next season. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of tired of hearing about how great Herm Edwards and Arizona State is. And Ray Anderson telling us three years ago that we're going to be a perennial top 15 team. And they can't seem to get out of their own way. They just can't. So when, when do you start quantifying what that looks like? I know a year ago you weren't going to go by wins and losses. Clearly this year you're not going to go by wins and losses either because you're going to be at 500 or less. You know, is it year four? And you have to be a, a top 15 team to start the season and finish it in a, in a situation where you're playing for a chance to go to the college football playoff. I would hope so. I mean, I don't know what to think about this. And they didn't look like they knew what the hell they were doing in the last two and a half minutes against USC. And then in the UCLA game, again, after being away for three weeks, they, they fumbled around and couldn't find their keys. And then last week, Arizona just gave them everything. And luckily for Arizona State, they just embodied 
uh, an absolute beatdown of a rival that got a coach fired. So, you know, I, I, I don't know about this. If, if you're going off the last thing you saw, you know, Oregon State made it close against Stanford um, like they have all year long. They've made it close with everybody. And Arizona State absolutely demolished a, a team that didn't look like they want to be out there. I know that Jonathan Smith's team is going to be ready to fight and, and, and play. Question is, is Arizona State capable of doing what they just did uh, a but week I later? Think they and I think to. They don't need to do – they don't need to beat down Oregon State. They, need to, they just need to win handedly, and I think they can. I don't think Jamar Jefferson's going to make that big of a difference in terms of the score at the final score of this game. I think he's going to play well. Do they really need to go and beat down Oregon State to convince you that they could win this game? No. I don't care if they beat them down or not. That's not the point. I just I, – I don't, I don't believe that they are – I believe they're, they're sheeps in wolves' clothing. I think everybody thinks they're the badass wolf, but they're just sheep, you know? And until I'm proven otherwise, you know, I'm going to, I just did a whole rant about Arizona state and I'm going to pick the Sun Devils minus the seven, which I don't, I don't quite understand how I went about that, but I just, the last thing I can remember is what they did uh, on, fr on last Friday night. So I'm going to, I'm going to roll with that and see if they can win 28 to 17. So are you, are you calling – so, I mean, I've been seeing – I haven't been singing, but I've been alluding to the praises of Arizona State all season. I said it at the end of last season, and we had Matt Barry on the show who completely agreed with me. Are you calling us the boys who cried wolf here if Arizona State is a bunch of wolves dressed – or sheep dressed as wolves, if you will? Do you think that the hype is too, too much? Do you think it's overhyped and that they are guilty oh, of proven yes. It's way overhyped. I mean, I mean, it could be just you and Matt's hype, but, I mean, that's – I don't know if that's overhyped or not. I don't think – you know, I don't think a lot of people had um, Arizona State being a factor again this year yet. I thought they were going to be able to compete and the way they went about things in that first game uh, kind of put a, an exclamation point on what this season has, has been for not only them, but the Pac-12. Um, but I'm just waiting. You know, we've been waiting for this. They go and beat Michigan State. Uh, you know, a year ago in Jaden Daniels' first big road game against a national uh, opponent. Then they beat Oregon and keep him out of the college football playoff a year ago. But then they, you know, seemingly lose games that they shouldn't uh, along the way. So those are growing pains. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I, I still go back to the Ray Anderson quote that we're, we're going to be a perennial top 15 program. Well, when, does, when, when do we start that clock, Ray? When are we going to start that clock? Year four, I'm cool. If you want to start it at year four, that's fine. But, you know, I've, I've just been – I've been waiting. I've been waiting for it to – I mean, look, here's the out. thing. And, and if you want to take it from a macro recruiting perspective, which is how I do things sometimes, sometimes. So others may say that's – I do it more than I should. They – it was sort of – the offense was the focus, right, to build up the offense. And they have. They have some very good pieces that they're still developing. They have a very good quarterback – not, not proven, a quarterback who has had moments where he's proven to be very good, but he hasn't put the consistent aspects of his game together. And next season, they have a bunch of defensive – very good defensive pieces coming in. They have, you know, two four-star defensive backs. They have a four-star ATH. They have a, 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 three, a bunch of three-star middle linebackers coming in. So, look, I think that they overhauled the offense first. And now they're looking at the defense. And if they could find a way, if Marvin Lewis stays and Herm Edwards can execute and they find a way to put it all together, I think that they would have the pieces to be a top 15 team. But, I, don't, I mean, look, I'm willing to give them the benefit of doubt just because it will make me look dumb to backtrack after how much I've, I've wanted to believe and I said I believe in them. Um, but I, I, your argument is really hard to, to disagree with right now because you're right. They haven't done anything that they said that they would do on the football field in terms of consistency. They've had some wins. Like you said, they have arguably the biggest non-conference regular season win for the Pac-12 in the last five seasons in, the, in that Michigan State game. And yet, they still haven't been as competitive as it seems like they should be out in the South and in the conference as a whole. So, I, I mean, it's tough. Well, I said this, I said this to you, and, and, and I've said this on national platforms as well. I, I think the Pac-12 is – um, overall, the most complete conference in the country, by far. 
from top to bottom, any team can beat any team. And, and I, and a lot of people say, well, Arizona can't, well, Arizona almost beat USC this year. So yes, I think I don't see Vanderbilt playing in a game where they could beat anybody in the SEC. So I don't, I don't think from top to bottom, uh, there's a better conference than the PAC 12. They just don't have a top heavy elite group or elite team. And I've talked to some friends of mine that say, I just want an, I want an elite team. I want a team that's can, can buy for the playoff every year. And I'm like, may, I mean, I love how competitive the games are every weekend. I just do. I love watching PAC 12 football because they're competitive. Any team could win on any, on any weekend. I'm never, you know, just like, I know for sure this is how this is going to go. Uh, and I enjoy that. And, and knowing what the college football playoff committee is, I don't, I don't care anymore. I don't care that if they're a part of it. Uh, if we play great football, uh, but I understand how important the playoff is and we need an elite team. And if, and simply if we have a, an undefeated champion who's a, who can't go to it, then what's the freaking point? Yeah, just enjoy it. I mean, I'm with you. I like the fluidity. I like the consistency. Let me ask you then, what's the, if, if it's the same song and dance, with the college football playoff year in and year out with the way that it's approached by the committee and it's become predictable and it was predictable this year. And every single media member with a platform after Tuesday on Tuesday night, basically all said the same thing. Um, are we going to see a, a push to bring back the computers, the analytics and the BCS, no. or is this, this is just going to be the system and we have to accept it. Yeah, because you know what? As soon as the, the games get scheduled and the January 1st comes and they play great semifinals and a national champion is crowned and it's most likely going to be Alabama and a rightful champion, everybody's going everybody's gonna to forget about what the hell happened, you know? That's, right. That's, that's exactly what's going to happen, you know? I mean, people talk about UCF in 2017. I don't, you know, not anybody who works in the, you know, the American Conference's commissioner does. But it doesn't matter. It's you can't expect uh, a group of five team. They they were they were invited into the process. They weren't invited in to be into the college football playoff. They were invited into the process where they could play in a New Year's Six bowl game. That's why they were invited into the process. If they wanted to go do something else, they should have made their own, uh, you know, top four where they play a group of five college football playoff. And I I still think if if I were the commissioners of those leagues. I would get together this offseason and say, we're doing our own. We're going to put together our own committee. What's stopping us from doing that? I know we want to be a part of this bigger picture, but hey, let's, let's do our own and make it a big deal. And I don't see why they shouldn't. I mean, this has been a, a somewhat a subtle topic of conversation for a little while, but especially since UCF's 2017 season, but now it seems more prevalent than ever. Um, We've been alluding to Arizona a little bit. Their game against Cal canceled. Coronavirus all over the place for Cal. And I've heard of a couple of cases in Arizona. Arizona's 0-5. Um, I read in the Mercury News, John Wilner, our faithful friend up in San Jose, uh, narrowed down the search in his eyes to just two guys. Joe Salvea, defensive line coach, assistant defensive coordinator for Oregon, and Brett Brennan former Oregon State head coach who's turned San Jose State around this season. They're a phenomenal team. Um, and it seems like those are really the top two candidates. If you're Arizona, Ryan, who's your preference between those two coaches? Well, I mean, well, what I do is I would, I would, I would hire Brent Brennan, and then I would see if you could get uh, Joe Salave as assistant head coach and defensive coordinator. That would be a step up from Oregon uh, in, a, in a bunch of places. That's how I would try to do it. Now, Joe may not do it because he wants to be the head coach, but I'd get a guy who's had head coaching experience. That, that job there is, it's going to take a, a unique way to win games at the University of Arizona. It always has been, all the way back to when Dick Tomey uh, went through the Desert Swarm defense and things like that. So they played that flex defense. It was different. It was something that made them different, and, and I, I think it, they're going to need to be able to do that. Um, to win in Tucson. So that would be, that would be like, if I had a wish list for Christmas, it would be Brent Brennan as a head coach because of his head coaching experience and what he's been able to do with a program that was, wasn't winning any games to get to the conference championship this year. And Joe Salavea, who's a alumnus and who can recruit like crazy, not only uh, 
every player, but the, you know, the, the Asian Pacific and, and Polynesian uh, um, kids that, that he's really, really connected with, especially at Washington State and at Oregon. So that would be my Christmas wish list is to have that play out. That's, that's the way I would, I would love to see it go. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if Joe's going to leave a great job at Oregon like that um, to be the DC at, at an Arizona school, unless he wants to, you know, he's an assistant a defensive coordinator at, under Andy Avalos there, but you know, getting his own ship, getting his own D that might be enough that, that, that could give him a shot. Yeah. We'll see uh, once the season ends, how that, conversation and the uh the coaching search unfolds here for arizona san jose state i mean they're in the conference championship in the mountain west they had a great game on friday night last week a game that you said you were very interested in watching and they played great um and i believe this is their their first undefeated season since like 1967 or something when they were a top eight team in the country um let's move over here to the championship game it was announced today mario cristobal got extended by the university of oregon is six years 27 and a half million dollars the dude got uh, a very nice did he penny. sign it though uh, his wife tweeted his wife tweeted how excited they are to stay at oregon okay. I, I haven't heard official news but but uh but jessica cristobal did in fact tweet that uh how proud they are to be how would you how would you look they put the comparison up there it's about twenty thousand dollars less a year than pj fleck mm -hmm. that's gonna be the comp i don't know you're oregon you're nike university go to go to grandpa phil uncle phil and say hey phil i need a couple shekels extra to get well, this done because guess what guess what it it if, if we don't hear anything signed by the end of the game tomorrow night, watch out for Saturday morning with a nice private plane from Eugene or from LA down to the plains in Auburn and to take, to kick the tires. Because I, if Mike Leach at Mississippi state can get 5 million a year, you, you got to You're guaranteeing Auburn's going to offer crystal ball at least seven. And that's two and a half more. I mean, if you, told me you get to go do what you love to do and that's coach football and you also get two and a half million more to do it i don't know what you do here i i know what i do here i, I go to auburn well to your point to your point auburn paid gus malzahn 6.9 a year right his bio dude was get seven and a half i bet you dude would get seven and a half easy I that mean, is three million more than that's being speculated at at oregon so <laughs> Gus's Gus's buyout was twenty one point four million. He was getting six point nine a year. Now there are some incentives, a couple hundred thousand dollars here and there for making various uh, or reaching various milestones for the team over the next five years. And by the way, Gary Patterson at TCU is getting paid more than Mario Cristobal. Tom Herman got paid more than Mario Cristobal. Ryan Day. Well, I mean, Tom I'd Herman. Tom Herman coaches at Texas. Tom Herman should get $10 million a year to coach at Texas. Mel Tucker. Of, Mel Tucker gets more at Michigan State. Yes. Why do then, you think Mel Tucker's at Michigan State and not Colorado? Correct. Mark Stoops at Kentucky gets another a, a five mil. So, you're look, you're right. I think that, you know, perceptively, it, it's an upgrade for the contract that he had previously. Um, and again, his wife tweeted that they're excited to stay and be a part of the Eugene family for the foreseeable future. What if he's, what if, what if this, what if this dude is two time PAC 12 champion and is making, and isn't the highest paid coach in the PAC 12, would he be the highest? Who's the highest paid coach in the PAC 12? That's a good question. I can get that for you right now. I believe it is our friend, David Shaw. Well, before this contract. So this would make Mario Cristobal the highest paid coach. David Shaw gets 4.8. Um, and Kyle Winningham gets 4.6, but that goes up 365,000 every year for the next three years. Chip Kelly is the next guy up at uh, $4.3 million. So this, this would, over the next five seasons, because the contract increases up to $5 million by 2025, eventually Cristobal, with the incentives, would become the highest paid coach in the Pac-12. Well, you can't, you can't complain about that if you're the highest paid coach in your conference, though it just clearly shows that the Pac-12 is – <laughs> lagging behind in terms of everything who they can get as a head coach so oh man um anyways so regardless of the fact that the ink has yet to be placed on or to dry on that contract 
His wife, look, we saw Willie Taggart at Oregon right before he got swooped up by Florida State. Oh, I'm so excited to stay in Eugene. And the next day he was on the first play in town to Tallahassee, and now he's cleaning up um, Lane Kiffin's mess at FAU. But, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that drama unfolds. And I'm sure the PTSD um, up in Eugene is, is really Why has Lane Kiffin got to have a mess at FAU? He won a championship there. Because after he left, all the blue chips that he recruited decommitted. They, they literally couldn't do anything after he left. It wasn't a mess that he created. It was a mess after okay. he left because nobody wanted to go and play at that school. Um, right. And we saw they what happened. Go, they didn't want to go play for Willie Tiger. They wanted to exactly. play for Lane Kiffin. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's that, that whole saga is a separate issue. Anyways, USC, Oregon, the Pac-12 championship that many predicted. We didn't think it was going to happen. And then coronavirus uh, decided to agree with, uh, with us for once. And uh, Washington couldn't play, giving Oregon the opportunity here to play spoiler to the Trojans down in the Coliseum, uh, a team that they beat 56 to 24 last year in the Coliseum, obviously different season, different circumstances, a bunch of different players um, on, on Oregon more so than USC. Uh, USC is projected to win by three. The game opened up at two and a half. I think people were very excited about that spread. And because of that, Vegas ended up pushing the line up to three. Um, USC is the better team. It, I, I think it's pretty simple. Um, they have the more skilled athletes, they have a more conditioned quarterback. Their wide receiving tandem is better. Oregon has not been very good stopping the run. And last week, guess what? UCLA played the pass in that cover two defense, um, and USC ran the football effectively with Malapere. And I wouldn't put it past them to do it again. So I think USC covers this football game. Well, I got taught a valuable lesson a year ago. You do not mess with Mario Cristobal and his chance at a Pac-12 championship. I had to eat so much crow in this situation. <laughs> and uh, therefore, um, the Pac-12 is going to Pac-12 and absolutely prove to everybody that a USC team did not belong in the college football playoff. So here's our opposites, all right? I got Go Ducks plus the three versus USC Fight tomorrow on. night. Fight, and I, I mean, and look, it's, it's – with all the utmost reluctance, because what have I done every single week, Ryan? I've taken Oregon, I've taken the spread in any matchup that they've played, and they've consistently they've been the reason, right? And so I took your advice. My intuition, my intuition told me that USC, this was the season for them to win the Pac-12 championship, for the national perception to change. Um, and I'd rather be pleasantly surprised as an alumni from Oregon and wrong uh, than disappointed once again in my Oregon Ducks team. So. I guess it comes down to the – we'll know tomorrow night whether or not uh, I finally beat you this week just because all the other games are on Saturday and we agreed. How do you – I mean, look, how do, you, how do you see this game going, though, realistically? What does Oregon have to do to beat USC? Uh, I, I assume that uh, it's going to play out a lot like the season had for USC. They're going to look – other than the Washington State game, they're going to look incompetent and look like they shouldn't even be in the game and then figure it out late and realize, oh my God, we have the superior athletes out on the perimeter. Let's get them the ball quickly. And by that time, it's not going to matter. Uh, Mario Cristobal and his team are going to uh, establish a, a lead of, you know, they're going to be up 24 to, to three. Uh, USC will make a rallied comeback and, and, you, and Oregon will get a late touchdown just to solidify it. 31-27, Oregon. Oh, wow. All right. I think it's going to be a close game, too, I think. But I, I flip it. I have USC in that round, 31-27. I, look, I don't know if they have the gas to come back to make a, another, for the fourth time this season, a grand fourth-quarter comeback. But um, I expect them to learn from their mistakes and maybe keep it close up until that point when they can do a last-minute push uh, to take the victory and the Pac-12 championship. So we agree on every single line here. Now, you do have Stanford winning, but there's an asterisk next to that because we agree on the spread of that game the plus six and a half. So um, that's the week. I mean, only four games. Colorado, unfortunately, will not be playing. They finished their season. I mean, we'll see what happens with the final rankings, but they're 25th. Um, and, and I think for a team with a quarterback and a running back that nobody knew about and a new coaching staff, they did pretty well for all intents and purposes, given the situation. Um, pretty well? They did very well. Excuse my lack of you and I, You and I did not have them winning a game this year. Nope. So they absolutely killed it this year. They found their head coach. People forget 
Carl Durrell took a UCLA team and, and knocked off the number two ranked USC Trojans to stop them from going to the national championship and also won a championship uh, down there in the South. He knows what he's doing. And he held on to Darren Cheverini, and they run a great offense. And he did something with Sam Neuer at quarterback. Imagine if they get a true blood quarterback coming in there and they're recruiting their tails off. Uh, you saw something special from them this year, and I'm really proud of that Colorado Buffaloes team. Look for sustained success for that for that program moving forward. I believe. I mean, you talk about recruiting their 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 hines off. Look, right now they're ninth in the Pac-12 after the early signing period. Now they have a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys who are on the books to potentially send send in their official commits by February, and that I think they could push them to the top five of the conference. Right now, you talk about quarterback Drew Carter. Um, is their only quarterback committee. He's a dual threat out of Tigard in up in Portland, Oregon, a team that I saw a couple of times um, when I was in, back in my Eugene days. So we'll see. I think that Shiverini is one of those guys that, that players just want to play for. And I think that, look, they're still in the, the youth of their coaching there. And um, they have, they have a, a, a very, very solid road ahead out there in Boulder. Um, all right, let's get to the national slate here. I, just a, a kind of a fun fact here, again early recruiting period the top six teams in their early signing period out in this order alabama ohio state georgia lsu clemson oregon are also ironically the only six teams to have ever won at least one game in the college football playoff era so i think that brand has mattered more so this year especially with lsu man and their their disappointing season than um it has in years past with some of the recruits and and the, the stars associated with them with the programs that they they ended up signing with um Oregon ended up being in the top 10. Other than that, I mean, Utah was at 29. I think USC was at, uh, at 17. And, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a phenomenal showing for the Pac-12 overall, which it almost never is. And as you mentioned earlier, some of these teams, especially UCLA, recruit for scheme rather than, you know, just trying to load up on, on five and four stars and, and hope that talent outweighs, um, you know, perhaps the, the cohesive team play uh, out on the football field. Um, but nonetheless, a bunch of interesting games with a lot of implications uh what depending on which way you go what on the national slate ryan are you excited about and what should we all as college football fans be aware of in terms of implications this upcoming weekend well i, I think it's a great great saturday of championship football you know i, I really do northwestern ohio state I, I think you know ohio state's 20 point favorite um you know it, if they win they're in it, that's that's all there is to that. It, they win, they're in. Uh, I want to see how you know Texas A&M has to put a thrash. If Texas A&M puts a thrashing on Tennessee, puts a thrashing on Tennessee, and Clemson turns it around and beats down Notre Dame, that may be enough leeway for the committee to say, "Hey, A&M's in over a Notre Dame team." I I I, I don't believe that. I believe Notre Dame's in no matter what. But I've heard some people talking about that aspect of things. So I'll be looking for that. Uh, I'm in, I, I really look forward to the Louisiana uh, Coastal Carolina game. It's a rematch from earlier in the year. Both teams are, are playing really good football. Louisiana finally got over the App State hump. That's the one that just held them back for the last two years. Uh, they got past that a week ago, and now they get a chance to, to be Sunbelt champions. Billy Napier has doubled down on his investment with the, with the Raging Cajuns, and and I think he's just the right guy for the job. Boy, they, they do a heck of a job there. And then the, I think the best game of the whole weekend, Clemson-Notre Dame again. I thought it was the best game of the year so far. And I'm hoping we get another great one. And I think we will because I think they're, they're two of the most complete teams in the country. And uh, I talked to Coach Sweeney this week, and he said, you know, we have all our horses back, which is a big factor. And he said, we're, gonna, we're ready to roll, and we're going to throw everything we got at them. So that's, that's their mindset right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think I could bet against them. They are – I can't believe they're 10.5-point favorites. I, I would probably – if I was a betting man out there, I'd, I'd take Notre Dame plus the 10.5, definitely. That's a lot of points in a game where I think these two teams are pretty evenly matched. Um, you know, and then, you know, I don't know how much I want to watch the SEC championship. I will, you know. Florida for me just seems like, uh, you know, somebody that, oh, you know who Florida reminds me of? Oregon, a team that just <laughs> kind of slides in, slides into a championship game. Yeah. And, and there's no, there's, there's no really reason why they should be in it. Um, that's what, that's what this game kind of feels to me. So I kind of hope Alabama hangs like 
a 60 burger on them. 63 to seven would be an awesome, awesome day for Alabama, you know, in my opinion. And then the Tulsa Cincinnati game, of course, just, you know, what we haven't seen Cincinnati for a couple of weeks. They've dropped further and further down the rankings. Tulsa has been pretty damn good defensively. So I think this could be a, a, a good game. Friend, uh, friend of the show, Greg McElroy is going to be on that call. So, um, it's going to be a fun day on Saturday. That's, that's all I know. A lot of great football. I'm uh, going to really enjoy it. Yeah, we're looking forward to it as well. You know, one, one conversation we've never had here, Ryan, um, and I'm curious to get your take on. So this whole Jackson State University saga, right? The, the FCS school that hired Deion Sanders as their head coach, you know, they actually have a marquee win in their program's history. They beat Auburn a couple years back. Uh, a top 25 Auburn team. I think it was like 2014 or something, a couple years back. Um, and that's sort of the resume. But they they ran, you know, all the recruiting sites, 24-7, ESPN, um, Rivals. They all ran sort of this, an- this analytic test on the recruits that Jackson State has and the transfers that they're getting for next season. There are 135 FBS programs. If you took Jackson State out of the FCS and you put them in the FBS, they would have the 121st ranked recruiting class. What's the and they have two four stars by the way now one of them is Deion Sanders' son Shadur Sanders but for a program like this where they have a big name head coach they're not a program that's obviously known nationally they're an FCS school they're not North Dakota State right who a lot of college football fans know about just because they consistently win the FCS and also take it to FBS programs every year I mean is this a program in Jackson State under Deion Sanders? that is actually trying to make a push to move up to the FBS based on the, the recruiting classes and maybe going out and just trying to kick ass in, in the FCS every year? Or is this the first play for Deion Sanders to try and get on the coaching radar to eventually move up into a bigger uh, and better spot as a coach? I, I, I would expect that's the, the case, the latter. Um, but he's got to perform. I mean, he can, you know, he can get recruits there, but if he can't, put them together as a team and make them function and win, you know, he's not going to get a look. I mean, don't forget Jim Harbaugh started out at the university of San Diego, right? It was a non-scholarship university. That's where he started. And he just won games and developed great offense and then got the opportunity at Stanford. That's, that's how it worked. So if Dion was not getting the looks that uh, he needed, this was a step for him to say, Hey, okay, I'll show you what I can do at a historically black college uh, and recruit my ass off and, and put together a winner. And so, yeah, I expect that to be the case. I, I, I don't think if he continues to get great recruiting classes and wins for a couple of years um, that he's not going to get a look elsewhere. And then it might be a package deal at that point, him and his son, right. Transferring to a bigger division one program. We'll see. Um, you know, it will be exciting to see what primetime looks like as a head coach, because, you know, don't forget for his whole career, he, he won, he won in places, but he played a position that wasn't necessarily a team oriented, right? He played a position where he got to be on an Island because he was so darn good. And it was all about him. Now he's coached here recently at the high school level. And he's raised kids and, and, and has a family and all of that. So I, I suspect that it's going to be a different perspective. But that's something I would look into. Just, you just, you know, especially when things go bad, right? You know, that's always the, the def, defining factor of things. When, when things kind of start to go bad, you, all of a sudden you lose three in a row. You know, how do you react? You know, what does that look like? So uh, it will be a very interesting microscope that will be displayed on Jackson State this next year. And, uh, I, for one, will, of course, be interested, but uh, um, he's going to get kids to want to come there. I know that. I completely agree. I mean, they have the 15th-ranked quarterback in the nation currently committed, and they have the number one junior college transfer committed as well, and he's a defensive back, so you're absolutely – and they have a bunch of West Coast kids. They have two guys from Nevada and a guy from San Diego. I mean, the, the, they're not just scaling the recruiting to the south. They're, they're trying to hit it uh, nationally, and if, if he can build something up there, I agree. I think it'll be interesting to see – Number one, how he puts it together there. Number two, if, if his tenure at Jackson State is really short-lived um, and he and, like you said, his son end up uh, finding their way to a bigger and better Division One program at the FBS level. All right, well, 
I guess that's it. I guess uh, we will be back actually on Sunday, folks, on Sunday morning when the College Football Playoff Committee announces to has their big reveal show. Remember last year we did a Periscope Live on Twitter. We're going to do another one. Um, it's going to be uh, – we'll probably do it on – we'll figure it out, Ryan. We'll figure out the Twitter account. We'll make sure that we get the information out there ahead of time for you. But make sure that you are uh, ready to go on Sunday morning. Follow Ryan. Check, I mean, if you want, check out my Twitter, um, and, and we will make sure to have you covered as the live reveal show for the College Football Playoff Committee, and then we will do a Pac-12 roundup as well early next week. Um, and yeah, enjoy college football. It's going to be a really fun weekend around the Pac-12. We'll see if Oregon can spoil USC's chances, um, and, and if I can maybe get a victory here on the final week of Pac-12 play against the most formidable opponent in guest alliance here on the show, Mr. Ryan Leaf. Ryan, before uh, we sign off here, I'm sure that you have a busy uh, time over the next you know week or so on air. What is your schedule? Where can people listen to you? Yeah, you can continue to uh, listen to me uh, on ESPNU channel 84 and Sirius XM, as well as the Pac-12 channel, channel uh, 373. Uh, in the mornings uh, that coming down the stretch here um, not too much more of college football but we'll be rolling into college basketball in the Pac-12 here soon I'm looking forward to that hopefully we'll get you know a semblance of a season there as well um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, I know it can't happen uh, because of the monetary issues with with college basketball but wouldn't it, I, I feel like, wouldn't it feel good if we just saw everything kind of shut down until next fall? <laughs> yes. Uh, we the thought that was yes. going to be the case. We thought that was going to be the case when it happened last March. I think people are, are happy we're through the college football season, even, even though it was arduous, you know, and difficult. I think there's a sense of accomplishment to having gone through it. So, Maybe basketball will feel the same way. Well, all of that remains to be Pac-12 basketball. Very interesting. Some very bad losses in the conference up to this point, but some good wins as well. And uh, Ryan and the Pac-12 crew will have you ready to go on all of that as well when Pac-12 football is over. But until then, we'll be back on Sunday morning for the live reveal show and then early next week for the Pac-12 wrap-up. Until then, for Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin signing off. Thank you so much for listening. Please, once again, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. This has been Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.